Are you a developer or conversational designer looking to excel in the latest AI platforms? Or maybe you're in marketing looking for the latest in audio branding and customer engagement. Or maybe you're a startup, a business owner, an investor, or simply want to know about the future of voice technology. Then Voice Summit held in Newark, New Jersey this July is for you. Get your ticket at voicesummit.ai. That's voicesummit.ai. We can't wait to hear your voice and meet you at the conference. In this episode of Inside Voice, Voice Summit Director of Programming and Content, Janice Mandel, speaks with Dunal Hernan, an award-winning technology, innovation, and creativity executive on a mission to uncover insights that drive innovation for the betterment of humanity. He moved to the U.S. from Dublin about three and a half years ago to become the head of experiments in art and technology at Nokia Bell Labs. He created this initiative to bring together members of the artistic, engineering, and scientific communities for investigative collaboration. Fusing truly diverse perspectives, he says, can help create greater value for society while helping to avoid past mistakes in integrating new technology. He received an undergraduate degree in aeronautical engineering and a PhD in aerodynamics from the University of Limerick and an executive MBA from Dublin City University, Ireland. We hope you'll find this episode to be magically delicious. So Donal, thank you so much for joining us today. You're going to be joining us at Voice Summit. Can't wait to welcome you on that one. Very creative discussion we're going to have on rethink and redesign, reimagine. What can you tell me about uh, how you got into voice? Well, my current role, uh, I'm head of experiments in art and technology. And that's a program in Bell Labs that I founded a couple of years ago where we collaborate with the artistic community globally across a range of emerging technologies. And we try and bring in that creative thinking into our research and development practice. And we try and increase and enhance the creativity of our staff by collaborating with the artists. And in particular, we look to humanize our technology through artistic collaborations. So how I got into voice was through working and collaborating with a number of our different artists and they been exposed to the role that voice plays, whether it's in all of these new connected voice, connected and voice uh, programmed and automated devices, or whether it's true the role that voice plays in human identity, or whether it's the role that voice can play in helping us unlock our creative potential by developing solutions using machine learning and artificial intelligence. So I'm really, I'm not a voice person per se, but I've uh, collaborated with artists that are vocal experimentalists um, and we've used technology in interesting ways to be able to explore um, the voice across a number of different dimensions. Well, that's interesting. The point came up uh, when we spoke with Shane Mack, who's going to be one of our speakers. Um, He's now with Conversocial, one of the early voice tech guys. He said that what's interesting about where we are, it's a perfect storm of people who have been in this industry in different facets of the industry. You know, we've got PhDs who are dealing with linguistics and people that are dealing with creativity, AI. So your background, how did you get into your back to um, working with voice and creative projects? Yeah, so it's a little bit convoluted. I'll try and give you the very short version. I'm actually a trained aeronautical engineer. So my passion was uh, airplanes and how they fly. And then I went on and did a PhD in fluid mechanics. So basically the fundamental understanding of how airflow and fluid flow interacts with surfaces. So think of it like a jet engine on an airplane or the airplane wing or a golf ball. So I did a lot of study on that. And then I joined Bell Labs out of my PhD and they asked me to apply 
my knowledge of airflow and fluid flow to how you remove heat from electronics equipment or photonics. So photonics are like the electronics that move photons around when you're transferring information. And of course, electronics, you know very well, like the microprocessors or chips in your computer or in your phone. So those that hardware generates a lot of heat and you need to be able to remove that heat to ensure the reliability of your equipment. But also you need to be able to re- remove it efficiently so you don't spend a lot of money and consume a lot of energy and therefore transmit a lot of CO2 into the atmosphere and um, because of all this energy consumption of these cooling technologies. So I was employed first in Bell Labs to apply my knowledge in one discipline into another discipline. And to cut a long story short, when I joined Bell Labs, I was really kind of surprised by the approach that the researchers in Bell Labs had when they were communicating with our product designers. And they used to speak in terms of equations. And rather than having a conversation with the product designers, like they were just people. And I kind of, I was taken aback by that. And I was also taken aback by how the researchers in Bell Labs would showcase their research, like how they actually would communicate the value of their research to people that were not world experts in that field. So I had these observations very early on out of college and I became a manager. And I started hiring a bunch of people that you would might, might now call creative technologists. And I hired industrial designers and designers and people that did arts for a hobby in the background, but they might have had a PhD and they were deeply technological. So I hired a bunch of people that had these diverse set of skills that kind of looked at the world through a very creative lens. And we became known at that time in our parent company was a different parent company. Today, our parent company is Nokia. Back then, our parent company was called Alcatel-Lucent. And we became known in Alcatel-Lucent for being the team that, you know, come up with a new idea research it really scientifically in a rigorous way, then translate that into a prototype and a product similar solution that we would then test in real products. And we would kind of tell the story of our research, kind of have people engage and experience our research in a very different way to any of those that came before. And we became known as that. And then to cut a long story short, I was asked to move to the States about three and a half years ago to take on different roles. And through that, then be kind of being known as a person that can communicate with other people, maybe a little bit um, that can help other researchers provide a strong, compelling narrative to their research and to help them showcase their research in a very experiential, very aesthetically engaging, pleasing way. I kind of then naturally fell into this role, which we created in recent times, which is to head up this new function in Bell Labs where we collaborate with the artistic community. So it's kind of a, that's a long-winded answer to say it was because of a bunch of other stuff I did in the past that kind of naturally made me um, somewhat of an appropriate person to try and engage and bridge these two very different disciplines and communities. Well, absolutely. I think that uh, the voice, what is coming out of a lot of the interviews we're doing before a Voice Summit conference this year is how important it is for the roles not to work in a vacuum and to really understand the consequences, the the opportunities, and also the unintended consequences of the experiments. And that's something that uh, you might uh, be addressing a bit. Your panel, uh, Rethink, Re-Envision, and Redesign, uh, is going to be including uh, different perspectives on, uh, well, how we're going to include everybody in this voice-first world. Exactly. Yeah. So on the panel, there's myself, as you mentioned, we have Dylan De Giovanni and Helen Todd, and we're all going to share from our own, you know, personal life and from our professional lives examples of where people have completely missed that diverse perspective in product design 
And we're going to give a lot of examples, whether it's in machine learning, AI, web design, personal and professional interactions with other people. And we're going to try and challenge the designers in the audience and the technologists in the audience that are pioneering some of this voice technology to make sure that voice does not make the same mistakes as every other technology that has come before. And it's literally, it's like a universal law today that technologists will develop technology and it will not take into account the diverse perspectives and therefore a few are privileged by the technology. And it can also cause extreme downstream harm because of how we're not taking into account those diverse perspectives. So we're really going to give a lot of examples, and then we're going to try and put a challenge to the room to make sure that these same mistakes are not made in voice. And, and we're at a really critical time in voice, but also some other emerging technologies like artificial intelligence, as an example. And of course, AI and ML meet voice uh, very critically. So again, it's not just about you working in voice, right? You can work in voice and think you're working on natural language processing or voice UI. But if you're getting fed information by a technologist who is working in AI for voice, then they can be taking very limited perspectives. They can be excluding people and communities from their design. And you're going to take that as an input, not question it. That means that what you're doing on voice naturally will have those issues associated with it. So we're going to try and challenge the room and the voice community to please, please, please pay attention. Don't just kind of treat this as uh, intuitively, I know what's going on. I, I don't think I'll fall into those traps. We all do as engineers, scientists and technologists. And we're going to put a challenge out to the room to make sure that these mistakes are not made with this emerging technology. Well, we're going to find that theme carry through to different presentations during the conference. It'll be more than one shot. Can you give me an example of a salient example that comes to mind? You can give us a little sneak preview. Well, there is a couple of famous examples in product design, but they can often be very illuminating when people hear them for the first time. So there's a number of famous examples. when You know, when you go to a, a public restroom, for example, and you might have a, an automatic or an automated hand dryer or a tap, right? So you don't have to physically press the tap, but you just wave your hands in front of it and the tap activates or the hand dryer activates. So there's many famous examples, just one example of where the designers of those products were white. Uh, they never tested them on people with darker color skin. And people with darker color skin enter those rooms, try and activate those devices, and nothing happens. And the reason is because the particular sensor technology that was used in those devices is sensitive and reflects light and receives light from white and light color skin very well, but darker color skin absorbs that light at those frequencies and therefore doesn't reflect it and therefore the sensor doesn't operate the way it normally should. Now, you might think, oh, this is a small, silly example. This is just a hand dryer in a restroom. But no, this is just one example of the way that this can privilege some and cause a lot of issues for a lot of other communities in the world. And again, this will happen with voice as well. Is there a way that you think voice can go right or wrong in this regard without taking into account a diverse user base? Yeah. I mean, if you think of natural language processing or uh, text to speech or any of these uh, technologies where you might want to do a translation, you know, understand what someone is saying and then translate into a different language or to a different perspective. If you think about all the different communities across the world, and if we just even take the English speaking communities, never mind a difference in language or a difference in cultural perspective, but just take English speaking across the United States of America. There's lots of different words that are used, phrases that are used, ways of speaking across all of America. 
that if a few privileged designers in California or wherever else are the ones that are training these systems, those systems will not be able to understand and interpret what other people in America are saying or doing. And then take that even more broadly. So there's cultural differences between all parts of the world. And again, there's a privileged few, maybe in the West Coast of the US, who are designing based on who they are and their background and their perspective. And they're then designing technology that will be thrown out to the rest of humanity. And this always causes downstream effects because negative effects, because those designers in California couldn't possibly take into account all of the differences and perspectives of the breadth of humanity because they aren't actually working with other designers and, and product designers and researchers that are reflective of that diversity. So that's the real challenge we face in the tech world today. That's a big one. The docu-series you're doing over at uh, Nokia Bell Labs, you're trying to understand, you're looking at community, science, education, and the creative potential of AI through the, um, the eyes of, uh, of a beatboxer. Why a beatboxer? And how does this relate to the voice conference that you're going to attend? Why a beatboxer? So we think a lot about the way that we communicate as humans today. And I think a lot about our spoken word and our written word and how that really was a technology choice that humanity made many, many thousands of years ago. And I think a lot about how that mode of communication is very good for knowledge sharing, but I think it's terrible for emotion sharing or to get a deeper understanding between people. So when we work with the artistic community, one of the overall, the overall vision of the lab is to create new ways for humans to emotionally connect and to more deeply understand each other by bringing the best of technology with the best of humanity and the best of humanity in, in this sense being through the creative uh, practice of these artists we work with. So when you say, why a beatboxer? So when we think about how we, both of us are using our voices now today, I actually think it's very limited from two perspectives. It's limited because it's basically a technology choice and the way we have designed language and alphabets and the way we communicate, as I said, is emotionally limited, but it's very good for knowledge sharing. So that's one um, kind of perspective I have. And the other is that generally we use our voices in their most basic form. The voice has so much more potential and we're really interested in exploring how we all might take our voices to the next level so we might communicate in a different way or maybe a more an emotionally augmented way. So when you think about why a beatboxer, well, beatboxers are the complete manifestation of the extreme that a human can take their voice and how they can communicate and convey and do things with their vocal expression on a level that none of the rest of us could. And I, I see beatboxing similar to the re same reason we work with musicians and composers, because music has this inert or innate ability, I should say, to convey emotion very naturally. So we're doing all these explorations with either musicians, composers, but also in this case that you mentioned as a beatboxer. So we can think about the limitations of how we currently communicate and how we might go beyond that. And of course, voice communication is very prescient and very important at the moment. So one is the beatboxer's name, his in real life name is Harry Yev. But with him, we developed this documentary series where we explore all these kind of elements of, as you said, community, education, science, through the lens of a beatboxer, through the lens of a vocal experimentalist. But in particular, what excites me most about that documentary series, which is called We Speak Music, which can be viewed online very easily, has kind of two really critical insights we got from working with Reaps One. So the, the end of the documentary series, he basically trains an AI digital twin to beatbox, and he then collaborates and battles with his beatboxing AI digital twin. 
define beatboxing for folks just to make sure. Oh, so beatboxing is where these humans can make their voices sound like anything, like a machine. They can basically make sounds and do effects and do things with their vocal cords that you would swear that it has to be a computer that is generating these sounds. So that's basically beatboxing. And in through the documentary series, we discovered that a couple of really critical things. One was the creative potential of artificial intelligence, because I don't know about you how much you read about artificial intelligence, but there's a lot of negative discourse in the popular media about AI, right? I mean, it's all doom and gloom. Millions of people are going to people are going to lose their jobs. The robots and the algorithms are going to take over the world and kill all of humanity. And I believe that's all a complete load of nonsense. And most of the people that write about that really don't have a clue what they're talking about. So in this project, we wanted to show the creative potential of AI. So Reaps One trains machine learning algorithms how to beatbox, but in the process, they develop sounds and techniques that they give back to him. The algorithms that he never did. He's never done these sounds or created these sounds or performed these techniques. And that made him think about his creative practice and think about the uniqueness of his voice. So for me, if I, when I think about this, if AI can help him, who's a very extremely creative person, be more creative, what might it do for the rest of us? So that was one. But the other thing was in the process of him training and creating this AI system to beatbox, it actually called into question the uniqueness of his own voice. So he is one of the most unique voices on the planet. But now he had this other thing that could sound just like him. And that was a really interesting moment in the documentary where he had this kind of light bulb, uh, deeply philosophical moment where now all of a sudden he's, he's not unique. And that's something we should think about, right? Because one of the most kind of common things across all of humanity is the uniqueness of your voice, typically. And your voice is the thing that you manifest externally, which is your external representation of your inner self. It's the most critical identifier of you as much as visibly how you look. Now, all of a sudden, we're going to have technology that very easily can sound like anyone. And that really calls into question the uniqueness of each of us, the uniqueness of humanity. And also it calls into a question how we might best cooperate with and collaborate with this technology that can now potentially assume our identity, but also collaborate with this technology that can challenge us to be more than we are today. And that's something that excites me about the work we do where we work with the artistic community is that they push us in a new dimension beyond where we ever would have as engineers or scientists or technologists. Um, and in this particular case, one of the interest, a bunch of interesting insights has come from working with this vocal experimentalist on this documentary series. Wow, there's a lot of interesting uh, learnings going on there. And that's the kind of collaboration, I guess, that we are looking at now in the community. I mean, it is wide open right now, what could happen with voice and the ways that we might integrate that into society. So any lessons you kind of learned that you would like to pass along from some of the experiments? Yeah, the lessons really are, when I think about my training as an engineer, and if I think about any encounter I've had with the vast majority of engineers or scientists, we're all trained a certain way. We all think a certain way. and We all kind of try and develop solutions for the world in a certain way. And I always describe it like this. The engineer, the scientist is very, we're very reductionist in our approach. So we take something big and we break it down into the solvable chunks, but we focused only on the solvable chunk that we're working on at that moment in time. We forget about everything else. And we go about that in a very linear and logical way. So I can tell you how I go from A to D by passing exactly through B and C. Now, when I think about the artistic community, they have a very different approach. They are very divergent or expansionist in their approach. 
they start with something small and it can become a universe of possibility in its own right. But also they go about it from our perspective in a very illogical and non-linear way. So they can go from A to D, pass through every other alphabet or letter in the alphabet and never pass through B and C. So this can be very challenging. Like these are two very different worlds, two very different ways of communicating, two very different ways of thinking. But when you can bring them together in a truly collaborative way, not just a check the box exercise, you know, to have an artist residency or check the box exercise to bring the humanities into technology. But if you can deeply collaborate and deeply exchange ideas and debate these things, right? You know what I mean? Just have a full on conversation and a debate about the differences between how we see the world. And if you can embrace those differences and then you can collaborate, that's where a lot of value is. And I'm just using bringing tech and artists together, but I mean more broadly, once you really expand the diversity of input into what you're doing, the technology that you're developing, that's where there's a lot of value in that. And, and it's not just general value. There's value just for inclusivity reasons to bring in all those perspectives and design for all of humanity. But obviously there's business value in that, right? Because now your product will be better suited to more of the population, not just a select few. So my lesson learned really as an engineer is that there is massive value to be had by bringing in these diverse perspectives. And when you think about what innovation should be, today and nowadays, everything is referred to as innovative and everyone is innovative. And I think if everything is innovative, then actually nothing is. And I think there's real value to be truly innovative by um, fusing this di these different disciplines and bringing in this diversity of perspective. And that's my real kind of lesson that I'd like to share with people is the real value in doing that. It's not just a, a headline grabbing thing in a, an article. It's not just a check the box exercise. There's actually real value in doing this, but you have to do it the right way. And it takes a lot of effort to set up these collaborations because of the differences. So the differences initially can cause a barrier, but if you can overcome them, then those differences drive a lot of value. Well, that's interesting. What have you learned about overcoming those differences? It's a lot of work. And I, I don't mean to say that to put people off it, but you know, you need people in the organization that can bridge both sides, right? So you need, in our world, it's deep technology and uh, then the artistic community. So you need people that can sit between those two and do a little bit of introduction at the start, a little bit of translation. There can be a lot of miscommunication just because of the different ways that people speak and think about the world. But then how do you select the right artist to work with the right engineer? How do you bring them together initially? How do you mediate and translate between them? And then how do you then put structures in place so that they can actually get to know each other without anyone in between? And then how do you step in and help them in the process when they inevitably get stuck? And that's really the kind of lessons I've learned around building a program like this. We have a global program where we work with a lot of artists all over the world. And really a lot of it is, I'm basically a matchmaker between the engineering community and the artistic community. And my the entirety of my job is almost just trying to bring those different people together, facilitate that back off uh, largely, but then try and reinsert when the need is there and um, eventually when miscommunication does happen and otherwise just let good collaboration happen and, and see what crazy ideas people come up with for the future. And when you think about voice and some of the experiments that are going on in your shop, are you hopeful? Do you see the potential there for, you know, some of the learnings you've already come across? Well, I'm hopeful in general, but I'll kind of I'll caveat that a little bit. So the part that makes me not very hopeful is the fact that it's going to be today, it's all of our typical standard engineers and technologist type people. Typically in a few of the very big companies in the world, they're going to own this technology. They're going to develop this, push it out to the world and own it. And that 
automatically means that it's going to be very narrow in its inclusivity and they're not going to take into account diverse perspectives. That's something that worries me that, again, voice will be just like every other big technology that's emerged. It'll be developed and owned by a few, and therefore it won't be truly inclusive. Now, what excites me about this, though, is that in voice, you have to bring together so many different perspectives that I think naturally there might be a little bit more diversity of thought and input than we would have otherwise. But equally, what I'd put a challenge out to people is to embrace those extreme levels of diversity. So try and embrace people and cultures and things that you think would never have any value in anything you're doing because they're the ones that give you the insight. It's those interactions and those conversations that give you these insights that you can really drive some value into the world for the betterment of humanity. So I'm somewhat hopeful, but I'm also a little bit dystopian in my view that I worry the same few will develop and the same few will own and the same few companies will profit from this. And that's something I think all of us as consumers and all of us that are interested in the value that technology can have to better humanity, I think we should challenge that a little bit. We're very excited at Voice Summit to be pulling together all the different facets of the community to have these people meet in person and really exchange ideas about the things that are concerning them and the the opportunities that we see to be inclusive, as well as just to expand the experience for people who otherwise would be left out on an accessibility front. So yeah, we really appreciate learning a little bit more about this what an interesting job you have. Yeah, I'm, I'm lucky, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> Anything coming up that you can kind of give us a sneak preview about that might impact voice and kind of the way we look at things? I would just encourage anyone that's listening, just run a, a Google search, We Speak Music Bell Labs. It'll You'll be directed to our webpage. You can watch the six episodes. They're very short. They're only like eight to 10 minutes each. And you can follow Reaps One, the beatboxer on this journey. And uh, for me, I learned a lot through the process of working with him and the other collaborators. But also, I think the documentary sheds a lot of light on lots of areas of importance for voice and the voice community. So I just kind of say that that's one of the most recent projects we've gone live with. And I'd encourage people to check it out. And if there's any questions or comments, I'm very easily found online. And I'm happy to engage and learn more from other people as well. Well, this is fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to the uh, to the summit in New Jersey in a few weeks' time, and I hope to meet you there. Okay. Talk to you then. 